Kia ora, no mai haere mai and welcome to the Our Cooperative Podcast. Uh, this podcast is charged with introducing you to some of the weirdest, wonderful and most amazing people we have across our cooperative. These people every single day go out to sell, manufacture and move the 16 billion litres of milk that you produce on farm every single year. Uh, and they are in the far-flung corners of the world and it's my job to introduce you to them. Kia Tato, no mai haere mai, and welcome to another uh, episode of Our Cooperative. Um, this episode, it brings me great joy. Uh, we're joined uh, today by Kelvin Wickham. Kelvin is a long-time member of Our Cooperative, joining the Dairy Board some 30 years ago as a technical graduate, uh, currently uh, or recently appointed as CEO of our MENA business, which is our North Asia, Europe, Middle East, and America's business, so covering a large portion of our global sales network. Kelvin has been across the co-op in many varied roles. Uh, he was my very first big boss when I joined the co-op uh, as a graduate some years ago, uh, and it's a real privilege to have you on here today. Kia ora, Kelvin. Kia ora, Richard. How are you today? I'm very good, very good. Welcome on board. Hey, um, I thought we'd just kick off a little bit. You'll be well known to a lot of our farmers back in New Zealand, um, but hopefully we're, we're reaching out to a few of our younger farmers. Maybe just kick off with a little bit, bit about yourself and, and your recent move to Amsterdam and a little bit on your history. Uh, sure, Richard. Yeah, as you said, I'm a long-standing uh, dairy industry. Um, I'm a Kiwi living out in the world, basically. Um, you know, I was brought up in uh, Fokatani in the Bay of Plenty. Um, actually, my father went share milking, left school and went share milking many years ago before he before he uh, invested some money and bought his own little business and built that up over time. Mum, mum sort of worked in the business and helped support us, get us all for university so we could get out there in the world. And um, that's what I've really enjoyed. You know, I've, I actually went straight from my chemical engineering degree into the dairy industry uh, graduate training program. And um, then I was out in the market before I knew it. So I've lived in Singapore a couple of times. Um, I've been up in Shanghai, I've lived in Hamburg, and now up here in Amsterdam. And I've been across a whole lot of roles across the uh, industry in that time. And the wonderful thing about it is as a Kiwi, you're still connected to homeland grassroots New Zealand, yet you live in this world um, world of opportunity, world of challenge, um, that's kept me um, more than fascinated and interested for more than um, 30 years. And recently, um, when we had a uh, new restructure across the leadership team, um, I was asked me to go up into, into Amsterdam to look after this um, fantastically diverse region, which we call Amina. Um, it's a word we put together, but it's, you know, it's Africa, Middle East, North Asia, uh, Europe and uh, the Americas. Uh, and that diverse range of business that we have across their customers, consumer markets, partners, uh, to help take forward um, for our farmers shareholders. Yeah, it's it certainly is um, a hugely diverse business. Look, I think um, top of mind for everybody at the moment is COVID, uh, and um, I guess it'd be really interesting to kind of get your views. I, I presume you're still in, in some form of lockdown in Amsterdam, and we seem to be seeing some, you know, some some green shoots out of Europe. You know, some the, you know, the mortality rates and that seem to be coming down. But kind of generally, where are we at in Europe and and across your other markets? Yes, Richard. Well, it's interesting because I sit here kind of in the middle. We we're in a, in Amsterdam, what we call a intelligent lockdown, um, which remains to be seen, I suppose, how intelligent it looks like. Uh, so we we have a lockdown that's not as strict as New Zealand's level four. You know, restaurants, cafes, schools are all closed. Though we've had a reasonable degree of freedom to exercise, 
move around um, butcheries, bakeries, I and mean, the markets are opened with with controlled numbers and and um, obviously um, social distancing between everybody. And the governments have allowed that without needing to intervene too strongly. But our neighbours are in a world of pain: uh, France, Spain, um, Belgium, um, Italy, and um, and we're all and we're starting to all now grapple with how do we come out of these quite extreme lockdowns in some parts of France, Spain, um, to further to um, ourselves in, in Netherlands. Um, and um, we've seen the UK in lockdown as well. And that's a challenge. And we're right in that middle phase of um, unwinding. So there's uncertainty. Uh, people are getting a bit uh, frustrated with the amount of time we've been in the lockdown phase. Um, more than seven weeks here. They have at least three weeks to go. And government's grappling with that un unraveling. Um, and it's quite interesting for me because I get up in the morning and start in New Zealand and go through Asia and into Europe and down to the Americas and we're all in different stages of lockdown. We've got curfews in parts of South America and the Middle East. We have to operate our factories in um, and all, all of our offices, of course, are working from home. The great thing for us as an industry is by and large, we're seen as essential. Um, mm. you know, so they want to keep food on the tables, food into the supermarkets. So um, our supply chain and factories that we have in the region, limited as they are, are operating and we've kept those going. And so far, all of our people, we've kept them safe um, and uh, in the various environments are in. So, yeah, that uncertainty is real. Um, mm. we, we, it's, it's been a whole lot more time connecting uh, to, you know, just to get that sort of human face, that sort of touch and feel you miss from when you're um, more close contact. Um, but we're making that work, and so far, so good. Awesome. Yeah, a whole lot of conference calls. Uh, if it's anything like uh, my day, then it's back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back Zoom calls and, and, and Teams calls and all sorts of things like that. Um, what, one of the things, I guess, New Zealand farmers, you know, this time of year, we're, we're, we're drying off, coming to the end of the season, but but I guess a, a good indicator for, for the season to come or kind of what's happening around the world, European spring, what are you hearing in terms of, you know, milk flows and that in Europe and, and some of the, the other larger co-ops? Yeah, I'm really pleased that we're at the tail end of our season. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's just a whole lot easier for us to manage, you know, that wonderful position we had in that contract book. And that's obviously been reflected in the fact that we've held our milk price uh, range and we've held our earnings for the year, that we, we had that strong position and that essential food to the world. It's quite different when you're up here in Europe. Um, they were coming into their spring flush and the flush here was early. Mm -hmm. uh, was up, oh, you know, it depends on where you are, but it's been beautiful weather here um, in March, um, April in particular, across the sort of um, uh, north um, western part of Europe. And so that's grass has grown, milk's come, and of course, at the same time, no schools, no cafes, no restaurants. And that's to give you an example, perhaps 30, 35% of the cheese and butter will be going through those channels. And you've got peak milk coming on. Um, so after the, the, the dairy companies here have filled up those consumer assets because um, they, they obviously try and maximise what goes to the supermarket and the retail trade, the leftover, there's no food service, they'll make as much cheese as they're comfortable with and then they're making skimmel powder and butter. Mm. Uh, so while a lot of the co-ops are still holding up their milk price to, um, to their farmer members at pretty good prices, uh, in the mid euro 30 cents, um, down to low 30 cents per litre, um, the spot price is, um, is well below that. Mm. And that spot price eventually will drag down the rest unless those schools and um, restaurants and cafes open soon. So we're all looking for that. And of course, though, we also expect that even if they do open, um, there's not going to be the money circulating. Um, you know, unemployment is, will rise. Um, there's less money available. 
So concerns there, less will be spent. So we, we do see that uh, milk price coming down here um, and that overflow of product going into uh, more commoditized skim milk powder and butter, which will come out into the world market mm. you know, three, six months from now. So there's going to be pressure on us for sure um, in markets. And that, that actually is similar things playing out in the US as well. Um, but we'll see that product coming out and hitting us into our F21 season. We have, you know, we have to be realistic about that. Mm. Um, but as of this time, those those price signals of what that tail milk is worth hasn't hasn't got back to farmers here. So production is still is still um, is still tracking ahead of last year. They will will soften um, in um, the coming months is the expectation. Yeah, okay, that, that that's interesting. I mean, it's good to see you know New Zealand uh, origin skim still holding a, a good premium on 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 the European origin. But um, as you say, that there's definitely some some pressure out there and. What happens, you know, you know, who knows what's going to happen in terms of opening opening the countries back up. So it really is kind of a, a watch and see. Um, so I guess, you know, Europe and the US traditionally have been quite protected markets. When we, you know, what are our what are our sales teams selling in, in those markets and which New Zealand ingredients are, are kind of, you know, the, the main focus for us up there? That's quite right, Richard. Yeah, we don't have the free access that we like. We do across uh, China, Southeast Asia, Middle East. Um, so therefore, uh, the, the most the most obvious examples we just we can't move uh, milk powder, uh, butter, uh, cheese freely into the Europe and um, uh, US markets. So we tend to have quotas, um, limited volumes of quotas for likes of cheese and butter. Um, or some favourable tariff regimes we can for limited volumes, and then it really becomes a protein market for us. Uh, so the US is very important for us for our dairy proteins, um, and we're a significant player there. And then we um, and then we uh, also um, import under some of those quotas when we can and when it makes sense if the internal market price is relatively favourable versus the world market, which is less and less these days. And then we complement it with some locally sourced uh, whey ingredients for our joint venture there. Europe is similar, um, you know, some of those um, uh, base products, we have limited volumes come in, so it tends to be more of a protein play as well. Mm -hmm. We have significant uh, whey plants up in, in, uh, in here and Bain, here in the Netherlands um, to produce whey protein concentrates and highly functional ways. Um, but even then, you know, some of the tariffs, um, some products are still prohibitive. So it's a limited, highly specialised, advanced ingredients play effectively. And then we arbitrage opportunities um, for some of the more base ingredients when it makes good economic sense and value to do so. Yeah, and and that I mean um, that Harrenvane investment we made a few years ago that really is about you know we can't get everything we need out of New Zealand and so that's about sourcing I guess what you'd call surplus way in in Europe and 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 supplementing you know the the, the way we make out of New Zealand that, that's fair and it's gone pretty well the last few years. Yes, that's fair. Uh, the, the, there's two issues there. One, we're not going to produce a whole lot more cheese in New Zealand. Well, first and foremost, our milk's not growing, so we have to do is you know, maximise uh, you know, the value of that, that limited, precious New Zealand milk that we have. So no more cheese coming out, no more whey in simple terms. Secondly, very high tariff barriers to get whey into Europe. Um, and even then, though, we could still sell some of our premium New Zealand functional whey because of its functionality, and in some cases, they're wrapped up in the NZMP brand around it. Um, building the plant here in the Netherlands, taking whey that was unutilised and putting it into the functional end, not into the standard commodity WPCN, into the functional end. 
So in the last three years, we, we started on base uh, W um, whey protein concentrates, but we've moved it right into the function we're in now that goes into medical, sports, active, pediatric formulas. Uh, very good return, and um, that factory is maximum capacity and going very well. Fantastic. Eh? And, and that, um, you know, in, in our refresh strategy last year, that, that, that functional nutrition, so the, the healthy ageing and the, the medical and the sports, that, that's, a, that's a massive area of, of focus um, for us. And, and Europe and the States is, is a big market for us. Yes, correct. So um, as part of my role in Amina, apart from the geographical role, I've got a, a lead role for our sports and active lifestyle business and our medical nutrition business, a team based in um, Amsterdam Medical and a team out of Singapore for sports and active, though they are such people are based globally. And that's a couple of key focus areas for us to grow. 90% um, of the revenue and the bottom line profits from those business units come from in the Amina region, and that's primarily US. Europe and of course um, Japan, um, very important market for us as well, um, particularly around the proteins and cheese um, and great standing, long-standing customers there. So how we how we grow those segments, and because we don't necessarily have some of the access or the um, the supply from New Zealand complementing in, in targeted um, situations. So we're not interested in being in milk for the sake of milk, but if we've got some global customers who now re, um, rely on that functional New Zealand way. They want to keep growing. If we can supply them dual origin, so functional way out of here in vain, functional way out of New Zealand, um, it de-risks de their supply chain, enables us to continue to expand with them um, and keep that share of um, in, in, their, in their key growth categories. Um, and these are the higher, these are the higher margin ingredients. Um, they're yeah. very interesting for us as a group. So I mean, you know, Food Spring was an awesome success out of Europe uh, for us last year. They you would you would class them in that that functional or that active lifestyle. E any other cool customers we've got coming through, or some good news stories over the last you know, you know, few months that you you've been up there? Oh, there's there's a lot of great customers here. Um, <laughs> let's, not, let's not forget. Never ask the salesman about his customers, yeah. eh? Well, never, never, let's not forget some of our very important customers that we have and, and global multinationals that we want to continue working with. But yes, there's some interesting sports and active is a very interesting field. There's a lot of startups. Uh, you know, people are tapping into people's desire to be active longer and live healthier lives. Um, so a number of brands are starting up, and we and we um, we look to service where we can with particular needs. Spring um, Food Spring was an excellent example because they valued not just the functional um, products and the sort of innovation expertise of Greens, they also uh, like the NZMP and the grass uh, fed pasture-based sustainable proposition, so they were utilising that. We've just recently invested in a company called Y Foods, which is a meal replacement company um, up here in, in Germany. Um, they're in the startup phase, so we were just a small contributor in terms of their um, startup capital in the next phase. And again, they're, they're working with us because um, they see the potential we can bring to them by working on innovation on the protein side and our dairy solutions. We want to work with them because we want to roll out um, those new protein and solutions and learn from them about direct-to-consumer models mm. um, and how. And, and it's just a really, really fast innovation cycle. They they put product concepts out there direct-to-consumer. We learn really, really quickly what's working, what's not working taste, texture, flavour, functionality. And of course, we can use that for our for our global um, aspirations elsewhere. Yeah, I did a bit of Googling on um, Y-Food before the call and um, 
pretty amazing there the, the the growth they've achieved and not just kind of usual startup growth you know it seems very sustainable growth um it's an interesting product kind of a whole food replacement uh yeah it, it, that's yet to really hit the new zealand market we haven't sort of seen that here yet but um you kind of look at social media across europe and and and, and the states and it's, it's definitely a growing segment huh? For sure. Uh, I suppose we've got bigger bigger markets here in the US and Europe as well, so people can try things and, and uh, when you get the right formula here and it works, it works at scale, it becomes very, very interesting. The um, disadvantage of New Zealand as a consumer market, it, it is small mm. um, and while you can say, well, that's maybe easier to maybe test things, of course, often you need um, specialised um, processing equipment and, and in particular these days, convenient packaging formats. Yeah, uh, just not available at, um, in, in New Zealand on that sort of uh, versatile, agile scale. Whereas in Europe and the US, there's a number of what they call third-party manufacturers. So as a startup, you can go along to them. Um, and if you work with someone like Fonterra, we have all the right expertise of how to formulate and put together the uh, the bar product um, or the, the powder mix or the liquid ready to drink. Mm -hmm. um, and you have a third-party manufacturer put it into the right format packaging you want. Um, so that de-risks your um, initial go-to-market model, which you can't sort of do in New Zealand, Australia, the same scale. So that's what most of them are doing. And of course, our expertise is in that formulation ingredient solution. And increasingly, we're knowledgeable around that, um, that, that uh, third-party manufacturing space. Um, and the concept being, if we can um, also not just sell the ingredient, we sell the IP around the processing, and we lock that into a royalty from the mm. Downs brand to play. That becomes very interesting, and it's something I think as a frontier as a group um, has more ability to leverage. It's kind of a model that uh, I mean, you'll know this a lot better than I. But you know, over the years, it's a model we've done time and time again, right? That we we bring the smarts and and the, the innovation, um, and 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 work with customers to to grow their businesses, and and profit. You know, both both profit from it. Sure, exactly. It's, it's about how you create that mutual value and we get our fair share. And yep. the key is to make sure we get our fair share and not undersell yep. our, our great position. And equally, in other times, we'll like to go um, uh, all the way downstream ourselves to our own consumer branded proposition. Uh, and, you know, in some, in some areas, you know, we have, we have a, a right to, a strong right to win in that consumer position. You know, New Zealand, Australia, obviously, a big home markets, but we do have some other branded opportunities out there. Other cases, um, you know, we, we would better to partner with someone who may have different strengths in that market um, and we bring in um, the smarts behind them. So the key is getting our share out of that um, of that region. Yeah, uh, um, another, I guess, you know, front and centre uh, back here in New Zealand um, for, for our farmers is is the whole sort of sustainability question. Uh, and, you know, we, we talk about customers, consumers and all that. You know, for, for us, milk quality on farmers has always been paramount and will continue to be so. Where, where are your customers at? You know, how do they? How are they talking about it with you? We're, you know, with the lowest carbon milk in the world. You know, how, how are we kind of going to tell that story and, and kind of ensure that, that the work our farmers are doing is, is, I guess, being represented in the market? Yeah, it's a really, it's really topical. Uh, I think some people think it's off the agenda a little bit at the moment because of the COVID world. I think we've got to be very, very careful of that, that all the trends that we were seeing before we went into the COVID world, if anything, are going to be accelerated as we come out the other side. It's very topical for our major um, customers, our global accounts, who are looking at their total uh, supply chain, 
all of their suppliers um, calculating you know, carbon inputs, um, water usage, waste usage, because they want to demonstrate to the future consumer, it's effectively the consumer of today, that the next generation are looking for full trace back across the total value chain and want to understand where the food's coming from and the footprint it has left um, on the planet to get it to their plate. Um, so it's very real. Uh, and something I think that uh, we have an opportunity to push our case as one of the best, um, lowest you know, greenhouse gas per kg of you know, milk produced in the world. And it's not that well known. Um, sure. but I, I think we've still got to wrap that up in the right value proposition as part of the play. Um, I think we have a wonderful position with New Zealand product. Um, and what we've done with the NZMP brand and with our anchor brand and our anchor food professional and food service brands in recent mm -hmm. times. On that New Zealand image, that quality of supply consistently year in, year out, uh, that's good because it's given us the market share, the value share in key markets we want. But to sustain that, you're gonna ha we're going to have to be um, in that right in the frame and, and take a uh, a lead in the sustainability front to demonstrate those credentials are more than just um, uh, what got us there in the first place. To sustain it and go forward, we're going to have to keep up. Um, yes, we can't lose the efficiency that we've always had um, from farm for our factory supply, absolutely. Yes, we absolutely have to continue on the innovation drive, which has given us a, a head a market lead, but that sustainability uh, credentials um, and, 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 and transparently being people checking on us um, mm. Right back um, is, is definitely coming. Uh, and if anything, in the post-COVID world where you can see more digitization, um, therefore more data available, more people looking back to see where their food's coming from, that which which humans have touched it on its journey, um, the pressure is going to be on corporates around being a good corporate citizen, um, not just one that has made profits, but again, particularly accentuated by the you know the health crisis and the economic crisis that we're seeing coming out of uh, COVID. It's it's real. Um, it hasn't gone away, and I think it's going to come back pretty um, quickly um, once we get back to some sort of new normal. Uh, so there's the opportunity for us yeah, uh, to keep ahead. Yeah, and I think you know um, the the leadership our our farmers are showing that the, the the hundreds of millions of dollars that have gone on farm is, is really going to start paying dividends. But we, we've got to keep keep the pace up, as you say, and 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 keep ahead of the curve because it, it's as much about protecting value as it about creating new value with with some of those large long-standing multinational customers we've had, eh? I agree. First and foremost, protect. The challenge for us is how do we get more value? Yep. <laughs> and that's, that's packaging up that fantastic work that has been done across the chain um, and the position we have in the world and, and extracting that value for that. And then realising, of course, that over time people catch up. So today's value creation is commoditized tomorrow, but we have to protect, then get, get create more value out of that and then keep on, keep on that curve uh, otherwise, you know, there's plenty of willing people here that will come and uh, take our take our shoe away. Hey, um, Concha, I mean, we, we haven't done your, your 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 all your geographies justice today. You know, we've got we haven't even touched you know South America or Africa or Middle East. Any any kind of further updates from there, or, or maybe we can touch base at a later time. Uh, just conscious of uh, not going too long on this. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, we probably talked for quite a while, but you know, I mean, we do have a great diversity in that amino region. We've got you know opportunities from these high value advanced ingredients we've been talking around in Europe and Japan and the US. But the affordable nutrition opportunities we've got across um, you know, Middle East, Africa, across our ingredients, food service, and our branded business are very real. And I look at it this way. Sometimes people think that affordable nutrition means cheap. No, what it means is there's a very valuable component in that, in that meal or that food they're providing, and that's called New Zealand dairy, Fonterra dairy. And if we can extend that, as we look to provide that nutrition and surround it with um, uh, the likes of um, targeted uh, other carbohydrates or other oils to to provide a, uh, a meal. Um, but that New Zealand component in there, that Fonterra dairy component there can be worth a lot more. Um, just like when you have infant formula, um, the dairy component is one part of it, but you really leverage and extend the value of that precious New Zealand dairy solids. And I think that's a real opportunity for us to do more. Um, particularly if we believe New Zealand milk growth is definitely slowed, if not largely flat, in a world that will continue to consume more dairy year in year. Yeah, and it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great point to end on. I think that diversity point, you know, talking to a number of our farmers across the last few weeks, I think the strength of the co-op in terms of, you know, not having exposure to a single market, you know, having, you know, over, you know access to over 140 markets around the world mean that, yeah, absolutely, we're going to be impacted with, with global events as they are. But, you know, the, the, the co-op that's been built and, and the scale we have globally, particularly through your region, Kelvin, I mean, that, that really is something that the farmers need to be incredibly proud of and, and you know, is one of the, the, the major reasons why our co-op is so strong. Which I fully agree. One of the key reasons why we have this resilience, which is shown through in our ability to deliver um, you know, this year's numbers. Yes, the financial strength is very important, um, but that diversity of markets, the 140 odd markets of ingredients, the 30 odd markets for in food service and those targeted brand positions, diversity of mix that we can move between the milk powders and cheese and proteins um, to suit that has been one of the strengths. And I see that every day. Um, the moments, as I said, if I wake up in the morning in New Zealand and I go around the world and into the Americas in the evening, um, just what we're doing day to day to adjust uh, through the various channels. If the food service volume is down in the, in the Middle East, how do we adjust that product to, to put more through the retail chain? Um, as the ingredients need jumps in one part of the world, how do we adjust the mix back into New Zealand to, to, to divert that milk or to meet that specific need of that customer for the um, that's got a, a growing need in hospital care at the moment because of COVID? We have that ability and optionality that scale, that presence um, that no one else does. So we should be very thankful for that. And it's really showing through at the moment. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, with, with COVID-19, it might be a while before uh, you're back on New Zealand turf and, and maybe out with, with the farmers. Any, any final words for our farmers back here in New Zealand? Uh, we're in a great industry. <laughs> don't, 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 don't forget that at the moment, people are yeah, maybe a bit down and down and a bit of gloom, but look, people still eating. That will still continue uh, post-COVID-19. Uh, Our challenge and opportunity is to make sure dairy is a preferred food and it's on the shoppers' lists the consumers when they go into those supermarkets and when they pick it up. That's our, that's our challenge, our opportunity, but you're in a great industry. Oh, that's awesome, Kelvin. Hey, thank, thanks so much um, for, for someone who's given you know so much of their career to, to going out there and maximising the value of New Zealand dairy farmers. One of my absolute heroes of the cooperative. Thanks so much for your time today, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Cheers, Kelvin. Thanks, Richard. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our cooperative podcast. 
we'd love to hear your feedback. And if there are people or areas of the business that you'd like to hear from, just let me know. Hope you're all having a great day and no hora.